Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. Good morning, my name is Peter. And um, as I say, every time I preach here, it would be weird for me to introduce myself. It would be weird for me not to introduce myself. So if you've gone to City Church for, say, a month, you probably don't know who I am. If you've gone to City Church for, like, six months, you might remember who I am. If you've gone to City Church for many years, unfortunately, you might really know who I am. And uh, so my name is Peter. I'm on the teaching team here. Uh, My dad is lead pastor, but I swear, I went to seminary. And um, my parents are both gone for the weekend, so like, could you come preach? We're leaving. So I'm at home alone with the dog. It's not my dog. Uh, so city, do you, we all probably have something in our lives that's like your back porch is rotting, you know, like right off your house. And you see it every day and you're like, man, I should probably do something about that. You know, it's just like, it's just, if I just took the time, then it'd be done. Or um, your bathroom smells weird. Or for my friends in exam season, you're like, wow, if I had taken the time to read that back in no, what's term is it? Back in February, I would not be stressing so much right now, right? There's just these like, we know they're high impact, they're a high payoff, it just takes time. That is how I think about this sermon series this year at City Church, where we are doing, it's the Sermon on the Mount all year long. And look what we've done. We've set aside time for you to learn the Sermon on the Mount. Now, there's lots of things in the Bible, and they're all important because they're in the Bible. But the, the chapters of Matthew 5 to 7, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, really are kind of the crown jewel of his teaching. They're the center of his message. They're his most sustained dialogue, at least in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He talks a lot in John. Don't know if you've noticed that. But, but in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they... The Sermon on the Mount really is his manifesto, his constitution, his authoritative teaching. And so we're spending a year in it on the belief that if you, if you took a whole year and every week's sermon was on the Sermon on the Mount, well, by the end of the year, you'd, have just, you'd just have a lot of stuff built up that's gonna pay off for the rest of your life. So that's why we're doing this. And this week, we have come to the Lord's Prayer. Now, at City Church, we say a version of the Lord's Prayer that's only ever been said at one church ever, and it's this church, what I affectionately call the Hartwig City Church, translation of the Lord's Prayer. So to kick off the sermon on the Lord's Prayer, would you stand with me? And Kevin, roll slides. Let's do this very unique version of the Lord's Prayer together. This then is how you should pray. Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, in Charlottesville, as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You may be seated. And, you know, if you came from the high church, you can throw in, thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. That happens in Luke's version. Um, Okay, so... We're doing this week on the Lord's Prayer, which is so hard to do because everything has been said about the Lord's Prayer. So I was like, what new thing could I give you to take home? The answer is nothing. You have it all already. But maybe we can stand to be reminded of a few things. 
And this is the first thing that I think we kind of gloss over on the Lord's Prayer, right? Jesus introduces it with, this then is how you should pray. And I think he means it. Some of us were raised in churches where the right prayer was, you know, speaking in tongues. And some of us were raised in churches where the right prayer was spontaneous and from the heart. And some of us were raised in churches, and I currently work in a school, where the right prayers were written in 1972, and they will not be changed. You memorize them. They're in a book. And all of those are good, and all those are right. They all have their place. But when it comes to Jesus' teaching on prayer, the prayer we center, maybe not the tongues, maybe not the spontaneous stuff, maybe not the written prayers, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. I think Jesus expects us to pray this thing every day, maybe more than once a day. You may know this, but Jesus didn't make the prayer up. He didn't just kind of like pull it out of nowhere. The Lord's Prayer has strong historical resonances with a prayer called the Amidah prayer, which was prayed in Jesus' day. And, and this question, hey, Rabbi, teach us how to pray, well, that's a really reasonable question that a lot of students asked a lot of rabbis. And so elsewhere in, the, in, in Luke's Gospels, for instance, the disciples will say, can you teach us to pray? And he teaches them to, in the Lord's Prayer. And here in his teaching, he teaches them to pray his rabbinic, he's the rabbi, his authoritative version of the prayer that his disciples should center their prayer life on. And he expects they'll do it every day. Now, the last sermon ran long, so I don't know. I'll do feet to your faith now, just in case. Hey, here's some feet to your faith. Pray this every day. Great. So, as we, why would you pray this every day? Like, what would that do? So, Steve Martin um, did a master class on stand-up comedy, which I admittedly have watched. And in it, he said, when I started doing stand-up, I wanted to do a kind of stand-up where people were like, why is this funny? Like, they didn't know why it was. Like, they were laughing and it was funny, but they didn't know why. And American comedy had been a lot of, like, sketch shows and, I don't know, the Smothers Brothers. And then there's Steve Martin in the early 80s in a white suit with a banjo and like an arrow sticking on either side of his head just being like, ah, and no one had ever seen anything like that before. Now, I think things are funny because they make sense. It's just my philosophical conviction. And I think when Steve Martin goes, I'm putting words in his mouth now. When Steve Martin goes, I wanted to tell jokes that were funny, but people didn't know why, that he's saying he wanted to tell jokes that made like a sense deeper than conscious sense. And, it, you know, we, we're all kind of like icebergs. Like the part of us that's conscious and that people see that's above the surface, it's not a lot. Like a lot of your internal life is like down here. It's like in your body and in your brainstem. And, and scientists know some about that, but we're still kind of exploring the ocean depths of ourselves. And I think that when Jesus asks you to pray this prayer every day, what he's hoping is that after days, weeks, months, years, decades... Of, of saying this prayer, of praying it with your own lips, that it will live in that part of you that's deeper than conscious, that just becomes part of your fabric, that it makes a sense deeper than sense. So when you go around the world, you're formed to see the world the way Jesus is hoping his people will see it. We talked about that with the Beatitudes. They're supposed to change the way you see. And we've, we've been walking through the rest of this teaching that 
If you really buy Jesus's message of the kingdom, what should you do? Well, you should see the world this way and you should start doing this stuff. And now this is the point where he's like, and you should pray like this. This is the prayer that sustains the kingdom mission in the world. And the hope is if you pray it enough, it'll just get into your bones. Now, it's helpful if you know what the prayer means. So at the school where I teach, it's an Episcopal school, we say the Lord's Prayer every day, Monday in assembly, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday in chapel, Friday in assembly. And um, even the kids that aren't Christians are very respectful about it. They do a great job. But um, I thought, you know, we say this all the time. Someone should probably do a sermon on this so that they like have some sense of what it means. So, you know, someone gets, they stand up to read the passage, to read the passage from Matthew where Jesus says the sermon, where Jesus says the Lord's Prayer. And the kid who's my lector goes, um, this then is how you should pray. Our Father and the whole student body goes into like training mode and they're like, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Like they had never heard those words, our Father, or, our Father, not followed by them just saying it. So they did, they just kind of all said it at the same time. And then the reading was over and I got up to do that. I kind of hope that we would be the sort of people for whom the Lord's Prayer would trigger something. But I hope we understand more of what it might mean than the boys at Christ school. So for the rest of this sermon, I'm just gonna give you a couple thoughts. Think of them as annotations on the Lord's Prayer that at least help me kind of see what's going on here. So the opening line of the Lord's Prayer in Greek goes, pater, hemon, and tois uranais. Pater, father, hemon of us, and tois uranois in the heavens. The first word of this is father. Now, unless um, you are the second coming virgin birth situation, we all had dads. And um, that's a complicated idea, I'm well aware. Even our best fathers are still human fathers, and they succeed and fail in the way human beings succeed and fail. They just do. But I think what Jesus is inviting us into by naming God Father is to say, why don't you take whatever experience of parenthood you have, and if you can see through that to this almost core instinct, it seems we have, this image of a father that we all know we kind of need, the father who we all deserve. If you could see through that and get the sense that God wants that to be his name, God's name is the good father. I spend a lot of time in my spiritual life often wondering when I come to God, what am I supposed to expect? God is a very complicated being. In fact, God is so complex, God is not a being at all. God does not exist, existence exists in God. You know what I mean? He's big and he's powerful, he can do a lot of stuff, he's very complicated, he has lots of names. And when I feel lost from God, or have wandered from God, when I'm trying to reacquaint myself with God and hope God is willing to be reacquainted with me, I get a little nervous about who I'm gonna meet. You know, it feels a little blind datey. But Jesus thinks that every time you open your mouth to pray, you will name God as the good father from whom all fathers get their name. That's what the Lord's Prayer is trying to invite you into, a relationship with that image of God, with the good father. And we name God our father. Did you clock that? So easy to miss over. All the pronouns in the Lord's Prayer are plural. Our daily bread, forgive us our sins. We forgive those who sin against us. I think it's easy to get through the Lord's Prayer and think it's mostly about Jesus and my life, my daily bread, my sins, people I need to forgive. 
But I think Jesus is consciously inviting you to pray a prayer to God that locates you before God as your good father and then places you in God's family. This is our father in heaven. Even the prayer, as the rest of the Sermon on the Mount does, invites you to know yourself, to see yourself as part of a people. And for me, at least, that's good news because I am very lonely. I live in a school on a mountaintop in rural western North Carolina with 300 boys. Not who I thought I would spend my late 20s with. And the reminder that there are other people out there on the way, also following Jesus. They are also seeking to live in his image under his banner. Well, that's a deep comfort to us. And maybe it also helps remind us something we can all stand to be reminded every so often, which is that you are not the point. I mean, it's not not about you. God knows you and cares for you. But, you know, every once in a while, it's helpful for someone to go, why don't you take your eyes off yourself and your relationship with God? And why don't you just take a second to step back and look at your community and their relationship with God and to know that their successes are your successes, their struggles are your struggles. That, I think, is what the opening of the prayer is inviting us into. And so, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. I hope that if you've been at City Church for longer than like five minutes, you will think, of course we're gonna stop to talk about the word kingdom in the Lord's Prayer. Because all last year was the year of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. And the claim was that if you were to ask Jesus, hey, big guy, what's your elevator pitch? Jesus would go, ah, the kingdom of God. It is so close. And we've encouraged the family of City Church to learn to see Jesus' message through that window, the kingdom of God, and, and by extension to see our lives through that window, the kingdom of God. That the good news, the good news, is that Jesus Christ comes into the world to save the world with this mission, this reality, this movement, this power called the kingdom of God. Our Father in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done. So Tim Mackey, who does the Bible Project, gave an amazing sermon in 2015. And I really was a little tempted to be like, hi, I'm Peter, and then hit play and just show you that sermon. But it's 50 minutes. So you can cover twice as much ground as I can. But he notes the fact that for a lot of us, heaven and earth kind of look like this. Like over here, probably up there. Up there, there's heaven, and that's like one whole space. And down here, that's earth, that's that space. And they are not connected. No connected. There's no hand-holding. And then, the hope is that when we die, Jesus will like potato gun shoot us into heaven. Like we'll get out of this thing, and he'll just sort of eject us up there. And the good news is you don't have to be here anymore. But closer to what Jesus actually teaches Closer to the image of the New Testament is this, that there is God in heaven and we are here on earth. And early on in the story of creation, where God is and where we are, we're torn apart. And the goal is not just to get flicked up into where God is. The goal is for those to become the same place again. Not to abandon earth to just, you know, well, that was a failed experiment. God cares about creation. God made it. And, and the goal is to bring creation into heaven so that those two spaces, they would just be one space. And so Jesus wants you to pray that the kingdom would 
come, that the will would be done on earth as in heaven, that more and more through the life of the church, through the presence of the Spirit, through people who follow Jesus, that the space that is earth and the space that are heaven, they'd become the same place. So that what you do on this side of your death and what you will do on the other side of your death, they are the same thing. You live in the calling to be part of the kingdom of God. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, my friends, graduating college, I imagine you are praying this line of the prayer with rather more intensity these days. Give me my daily bread. And I find myself praying this prayer with rather more intensities at many transitional stages in my life. Because you don't realize how much the last job, you know, you had all your friends there and like college is just a ready-made world of stuff. You know, everyone's basically about as smart and probably not insane. So you don't have to like background check them on a first date. And like the food is there if everything goes wrong and there's medical assistance and then you're thrown into Western North Carolina. And um, it's a very different game. You know, there's, there's all these transitional times in our lives where you realize that you are actually fundamentally, at bottom, absolutely dependent. Now, America is willing to tell you that you can control your life, that you can fill up a 401k enough and an IRA, that you can go far enough up the corporate ladder, that you can have enough contacts and a wide enough LinkedIn network. You can, you can basically figure your own life out. And to be fair... Part of being human is taking some responsibility for one's own life and learning the way of wisdom on how to live it. But what Jesus wants you to pray every single day is a prayer that reminds you that this is like the slow drip coffee of being alive. Day by day, he hands out what it is that we need, our daily bread. And if you learn to live life that way, if you learn to live life as open to dependence on God in a moment-by-moment, day-by-day arrangement. Well, it just makes you a remarkable kind of person. You don't have to be defensive. You don't have to white-knuckle your own life. You can be open to whatever comes along. God is so much more creative than we are. And if you follow him day-by-day, when he takes like a hard left turn that you didn't see coming, well, you can take a left turn with God. You can go there. The greatest theologian of the 20th century, Karl Barth, once said that the kingdom of God is like a sparrow in flight. Every time you know what next move it's going to make, it just turns a little over that way. And if you ask God for daily bread, well, you can follow the adventure that is the kingdom in the spirit. And what could possibly be a more exciting, interesting, more meaningful life than that? Now, to be fair, if God's going to give you your daily bread, um, it might come to you in ways you don't expect. As you can imagine, the background to this story is the Exodus. Israel walks out of Egypt where they were, recall, enslaved, but they start complaining. They're like, oh, when we used to sit by the meat pots of Egypt. And you've probably done something like this. You leave one situation, which probably wasn't that great to begin with, but you're in this new transitional situation and you look back and you're like, oh, remember how great it was And then all of your friends are like, no, it wasn't. Never were you happy at that job, right? Here's the Israelites, and they're looking back like, oh, remember when we had food? And God's like, you didn't have food. You sat next to the meat pots. (laughs) And so God goes, all right, this is going to be a little weird, but I'm going to rain bread. And you're going to pick it up 
but you got to do it only once a day. And, and over the weekend, you can get twice as much. But otherwise, it's day by day. And that's how I'm going to take you through this. I want you to learn to live on the day-by-day -day dependence of picking up bread in the morning, just enough to get through the day. And if you take too much, it'll rot and stink. That's the background story to this. Jesus wants you to learn to walk through the wilderness that is this life, dependent on what he gives you. Now, he's gonna give you a lot of stuff and you learn to be responsible and wise in that. I don't mean to negate any of that. But if you confuse that with the notion that fundamentally your life is your own responsibility, then you will, one, miss the adventure of the kingdom. Two, you will miss the provision of God. And three, I think you'll miss the provision of other people in your life and, and your life for other people. So all of us can take a second, I'm sure, and think about how we would not have, we wouldn't be sitting here if someone didn't say, well, why don't you just come stay at my place for a couple of weeks? Why don't, why don't you eat at my house? Let me just slip you an envelope with a bit of cash in it. Why don't I put a little money in your bank account? Why don't I just give you a couple books that I have? Why don't I introduce you to a friend of mine? Why don't I bring you into... We do, if, if it is our father, if this is our community, if it's not just going it alone, and the recognition that God brings along our daily bread, that it lets us, we just let up the white knuckles on the steering wheel of our lives. Well, other people can come and help us drive around a little bit. It invites us into a community that is on the mission of the Spirit. Um, and, and here's the last one, right? Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. It's probably not on that version of the slide, is it? Oh, great, yeah, it is. The kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever, amen. Um, this is a little book called Flourishing on the Edge of Faith, it's on the edge because it's a little edgy. My friend Andrew wrote it and he asked, me to, um, he asked me to edit it and he had like no typos. The man's a genius. Um, and, and it takes you through the Lord's Prayer in seven stages. So if, if you want some extra stuff to read, Flourishing on the Edge of Faith, Andrew DeCourt. But, but the last chapter focuses on that, the kingdom, the power, and the glory. And this is what he says. These last words of Jesus, kingdom, power, glory then are a sacred sign-off to the prayer. With them, Jesus asks us one last question. Can you let go of power and prestige? This question probes into the secret depths of our hearts. Have we finally accepted that we are loved by God our Father and that God's kingdom is for us all, or are we secretly grasping for our own ego and trying to prove that we are important? Ultimate surrender is the final movement of flourishing with Jesus. And that's where he ends this prayer. He takes you through all of this. Our Father who loves us, who's in heaven, who's on this mission to bring heaven to earth, who sustains our lives, who doesn't lead us into temptation or the time of trial. At the end of all, where are you supposed to end? When you pray that every day, where are you supposed to land? What's like the last thought that's coming across your lips before you head in the world is that it's all God's. It's his kingdom. It is his power it is his glory, now and forever, amen. I mean, when you, it's the freedom of knowing that finally and fundamentally, this all hinges on somebody else's mission, somebody else's power, somebody else's glory, and we don't have to hold on to it for ourselves. I can't think of any better way to end than for us to say the Lord's Prayer together one more time 
as the worship team comes forward and we prepare to respond in worship. So if you would, please stand with me. And let's pray the City Church version one last time. This then is how you should pray. Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth in Charlottesville as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen.